Record button. What, uh, what the fuck is we'll okay? Up. Hit the record button, card. I'm hitting the record. Why are you I'm, I'm hit down? the fuck. I need you. No, don't shut no, down. No, I've been recording, man. What's the um? What is okay, though? Like, what's? It, it stands what? for all correct. You know, O L L K O R R E C T. All correct. What? Yeah, you didn't know that. I have no idea. Okay, originally actually started as a abbreviation for all correct. Okay. I believe it came from an abbreviation from all is clear, if anything. No, all correct. O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. Anyways, what were you guys talking about? Capitalism uh, sucks? Oh my god. Uh, we're, second we're, stage ignition. We're talking about, so, welcome uh, for all you, for that great cold open of... Uh, wait, wait, we're already in it? Yeah, we're already in it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, um, this is the we next chapo. It's the next chapo. No, we're not even doing the clap. We're just next chapo. Let's go. Oh, you guys shit, are gonna okay. fuck up my my fucking editing. <laughs> okay, so let's do the clap. All right, five, four, three, two, one. There we go. All right, that'll actually help my editing a lot. But um, yeah. So what we were doing was we were talking about Zuli asked uh, what would be a thing where you reject capitalism but you don't want socialism. That literally what that generally is is like that's kind of how fascism started where it was like the third way ideology quote unquote but i mean like making no positive prescriptions or anything about like that like not third way not socialism not capitalism isn't it just, just agorism not, uh, I, I guess i, I mean it, it's really a non-ideology because it's like oh uh i don't like capitalism but i also don't think socialism is the way but uh Okay, but well, we the, have words for other non-ideologies, like anarchism is a non-ideology. I, I think that ideology would just be... Anarchism you know, is not a non-ideology. At least in that, like, the anarchist tradition. If you're talking about non-ideology in the sense that anarchism... Very paradise you know? Well, like, okay, so, so you can have ideological uh, tenets within anarchism. Anarchism itself is not necessarily ideological, Yes. but it often does become... Yes. I'm just asking, like, what would the word be for that applied to just economics, not to politics? And fucking to the extent cent- that that's it'd probably be centrism possible. or some shit. Hmm. Is it centrism or centerism? It's probably centerism. Ew. I don't see centrism as it being a particularly good influence anywhere, anytime. Bong rip. 
Well, I mean, the, the whole thing is, is, like, if you're not for socialism, but you're not for capitalism, and you're not, like, in, in any of the sense in an in-between state of, like, you know, doing something like Keynesian, then I, then you just really don't care about economics, because there's, like, no other way on that sliding scale. Well, but hold on, but, but again, there's all, there is a mercantilism, like, you could just say, like, well, I want people to own things, and I like the fact that profit exists, but I don't want, like... Well, that's like, well, that's like literally like being a monarchist Yo, in the twenty first century. Yeah. It's just like stupid. <laughs> it's like okay, you're for mercantile. You're like that's like saying I'm for feudalism, and it's like okay, then you're just dumb. Yeah. Oh shit! But, uh, the third way still exists. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, third way is like fascism. Founded in two thousand and thirteen, third path is a minor, minor far right neo-Nazi political party in Nazis in Germany. Founded in September twenty eighth. 2013 by former MPD officials. Hmm. Anyway. Alright, so uh, let's get back on topic. So we're discussing Kropotkin uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, because 7's super fucking short. And this is where we get to the meat and the potatoes of it, or the bread of the book, as you might say. How the fuck uh, do we revolt, is basically what this is. Yeah. It's actually kind of interesting because he doesn't talk about revolts early on, but now he really goes into the nitty-gritty of what you should do, you know, how do the revolution need to stay stable. And I think he hits on a lot of things that other writers really haven't when it comes to, like, revolution, where it's what you need to do in order to keep it stable, and especially talking about um, his central focus here is food and housing and things of that nature. And that's really important because a lot of times people, like a lot of armchair generals and like people who like to uh, speculate about a second civil war in America really love to be like, oh yeah, we're just going to revolt and then we'll uh, take over the government by shooting them a lot. But they don't tend to... And then what? Yeah, exactly. They don't <laughs> tend to look at war as a, a fight over, as a mainly a resourceful thing. Like any military general will tell you that um, if you don't look at if you just focus on the battlefield and don't focus on your line of supplies, you will lose every single fucking time. An army fights because... on its stomach. Yeah, and exactly. The big thing is just like, that's the thing that I think scares most people out of any kind of revolution. It's, it's not the fa it's not the idea that Big Brother's gonna, you know, put them down for it, but just that they're going to starve in the process of it. Well, that was the biggest thing, is that because all the, most of the revolutions that we have, like, you have things like with war communism, where um, you have a suspension of kind of how resources are allocated. And I think Kropotkin has a really... Kropotkin really, before war communism even became a thing during the Russian Civil War, really actually had a really good criticism of it and kind of talked about it in um, his chapter on bread, which was very interesting. On bread, you mean food. Just food in general. I mean, yeah, it makes yeah. sense that it's just that we're talking about the conquest of bread, but... Bread. It is bread that the revolution needs, right? Yeah. The bread book. Yeah, because it makes a lot of mention about how the fuck are these guys going to get fed, and he refers specifically to bread. And he actually, he actually talks a lot. Like even before this chapter, he talks a lot specifically about the Paris Commune and why the the Paris Revo the what like the third Paris Revolution ended up failing. Because as soon as they revolted and they gained their own thing, everybody was like, okay, so how do we eat now? Because all of the all the people who owned the grain and made the grain were just like, well, your, your money's no good to us because what are we going to exchange it for? 
you, you're, you're literally the only people that utilize your, your currency, so now we're not going to sell you our, our bread. We're not going to sell you our wheat, so I guess you're going to starve because you can't grow any food in the middle of Paris. Yeah, it was that sort of thing where I think that... He it makes... had to be a full communist revolution or nothing at all. You know, it, it is a very all-or-nothing thing. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things is also <clears throat> is really this book uh, at its core is a critique of that third Paris revolution. It is really looking into why it failed and what can be done to make sure that other things do not fail. So I think that's a very interesting thing to know. And um, it also kind of gets back to... <laughs> god um it kind of gets back to the uh idea of the sort of the context of the book for one the major reason why he talks about bread is uh there was at least in paris bread was a major force of sustenance and you know it has been for a long long time it's got literally half of what your body needs for the entire day well yeah the other half you can just get some meat and suddenly you're good but, but most of the French revolutions happened because there were the bourgeoisie was hoarding grain and the people had, went through a period of famine. So, of course, then you have a revolution that happens. You have, a, you know, the first re- French revolution where they uh, stormed um, the watchman. Uh, oh, what they stormed to find the grain? It wasn't the Bastille that they stormed to find and found all the grain. The was, um, I believe, I believe so. So, yeah. They, I do they need found... to brush up a little bit on my history, if if only to just kind of feel more comfortable, uh, you know, looking in that period and kind of no, the hog is in that framework. Oh, you think about the Hague? No, no, yeah. no. I meant um, uh, it was a monastery of some por- sort in central Paris, where the bourgeoisie was, uh, like King Leo or King Louis was hosting a lot of grain. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they talked about uh. He specifically does say, um, he talks about the, fir- the, the first revolution saying that the Girondists were the ones starving the workmen. So the Girondists are starving us was the cry from the workmen and the workmen's court is in 1793. Then he goes on to say in 1871, the commune perished for lack of combatants and taking measures for the separation of church and state, but it neglected at last until too late to take measures for providing the people with bread. Bread. It is bread that the revolution needs. And, like, I, I think specifically in this one, he's not taught, like, especially in previous chapters, he's talking about, you know, it's all well and good to be sitting down and be like, yeah, let's, let's kick all the bad people out. But if you don't have a structure in place after the revolution happens to specifically feed and provide work for the people, and we're not talking, like, just, you know, yeah, we're not talking just... We're not talking specifically just giving people a wage because he actually talks about how later how the wage system is actually bad, but specifically to give people something to do and to feed them at the same time. Um, And not only that, but like in these three chapters, he also talks about housing and clothing and sort of um, one of the. You don't want that to grind to a house either. Mm hmm. You just. He actually. It's very poignant his, his criticisms of how revolutions happen and how they are you know shaped by the material conditions in a sense his uh history of revolution of uh you know the second french revolution his 
um, solutions for it are materialist. They're the idea of, well, the people need food, so what we need to do is ensure that everyone has food within our, within our system. That needs to be first and foremost. So, like, if you have a revolution that <clears throat> states that you are working for the working class people, you need to back that up. And also, you can't just have an urban revolution. It needs to also be rural. Mm-hmm. You know, another terrifying thing about that is, like, if you don't take care of the food issue, capitalism can just resume amidst a communist revolution. Yeah. Well, this Like, is someone idea... is going to own something that they can exploit, and they're going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, it, well, this is the, uh, go, go ahead. Yeah, especially, like, like, yeah, so, like, that goes back into the, the whole wage system, like, if we don't have a means to provide people with something to do, like, it, especially in, a, in the face of paying other people to get them to feed them, like, we're, we're, we see that, um, that the capitalists tend to just, well, you guys need some, you guys need food, so we got we got work that we want you to do. So we're just gonna set up shop here in the middle of this commun- co- communist uh, commune and it's a socialist commune, and you know you work for us. Yeah, here's some money. Go buy some bread. Yeah, and the solution isn't to you know then you know suppress the capitalists because then you you know you get into authoritarian communism, which you know. When it's authoritarian, it doesn't last because it's really fear-based. Well, it's because you're 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 um, kind of get you're taking the bourgeoisie element of power and you're putting it into, uh, you're you're just you're just you're co-opting bourgeoisie power rather than actually go fighting against it. Yeah, and he, yeah. he even specifically says this: collectivism, as we know, does not so abolish the way system. It only substitutes the state, some form of representative government, national, or local, for the individual employer of labor. Like you're like, literally just swapping out one bad thing. Markets for the other. are fine. Also, under capitalism, the the trick though to prevent, or, or sorry, markets are found under communism. They they happen under any system. The trick though is instead to, to deter capitalism from happening, make sure people are fed quickly. Well, that's literally what he's talking about here, and uh, like he he ta- goes into this in an earlier chapter where people were using he uh, addresses the argument of well, why doesn't why, if you you have a socialist commune, why don't I just come in with a ton of money and then just pay everyone because everyone's poor? But if you have his whole idea is getting rid of the need for money. If people are sustained, like if you give people a house, food, uh, you know, some means of you know uh, being productive they will have almost no need for more money. Like, like luxury goods and the idea of everyone wants the best of the best and everyone wants, you know, all these luxury things are is generally a really, you know, it, it's a reactionary view of the world because it kind of takes into, because it takes the idea of, I mean, you it's know. It's a little real, but you do have to be in a position where the best of something is a possibility for you. Well, no. Uh, the the thing, the reason why I, I would I would make the argument that no, it's not real, is that generally people on like Wall Street and stuff. If you look at reports and things of that nature, what ends up happening is that you find there's a lot of sociopaths there. So these people are not normal in the sense that they want you know altruism and you know want what's best for the family. They want what's best Fair for enough. themselves, and they will do whatever they can to you know get that. I forgot that capitalism. Um, 
rewards sociopathic behavior. Well, yeah. it's not even necessarily a rewarding sociopathic behavior, but more of antisocial behavior because they be we said capitalism seems seems to and like it's I actually found this dichotomy really weird, but like it seems to reward the individualistic selfishness, but at the same time it's it kind of also rewards the collective action at the labor level. I actually got into a discussion with somebody about one of my friends about this, and we were, I was basically saying that under capitalism, yeah, you know, it, it rewards the the capitalist to be selfish and try to make more profit, but at the same time, it also try basically rewards or tries to force upon the laborer this collectivist attitude. Oh well, you can't take off because you know the the the, the your fellow workers need you here, right? It almost co-ops this idea. But that, yeah. that, that it co-ops it, but it does it so in a coercive manner. It's it's not well, it's doing hostage it at, taking. At, yeah, really. it, it does it does it in a, in a manner which is to say that it is, you know, it, it's coercive. It, it's simply it's a kind lie. of like you know telling Shinji to get in the robot or will make um what's her fucking name. You know the scene I'm talking about no. next. I what? Do not know. <laughs> oh my god, you haven't seen Evangelion? No. Oh no, I haven't either. Oh no. Oh my god. Oh my god, I'm actually gonna have to explain this. No, don't. No, I, I just don't worry. Okay, good. Pie. We're an anime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, god. No. no. Next. We must in we we answer that there are no two ways of it. There's only one way in which communism can be established equitably. Only one way which satisfies our instincts of justice and is at the same time practical, namely the system already adopted by the agrarian communes of Europe. And I actually wanted to make this point. In his revolution, he's not talking about just taking the cities. He's talking about dismantling the entire system and starting back from agrarian societies. And that is the only way to fully establish what he calls anarchist communism. Okay, I can kind of see it, but it's a little bit crazy. Well, I mean, it's it, it is a radical idea in that sense, but like you know, all these problems we have are, are radical problems. You're not going to fully address them unless you dismantle the system. I would agree with Kropotkin on this that simply just taking the means of bourgeois power and then trying to um, use that to take the system. If you want, if you need, if you're going to take the means of bourgeois power, you have to use the state to destroy the state. You have to take the means okay, and then... Thanos. Yeah, exactly. It's what it is. I mean, it's a meme, but that's what it is. And this is actually one of the biggest... Yeah. This is actually one of the biggest um, issues that I have with Marx, is that he always talks about how communism needs to move, technically move through capitalism. Because in his idea, when, when Marx was writing, he was saying that, oh, hey, we have the system that that ultimately needs to be taken over because he's he's go, he's writing this in the middle of the industrial revolution he's like okay these these industrial complexes need to be taken over and given to given to the proletariat but if we already have an agrarian society like in the in Russia in the Russian revolution why are we going to push through in the, the industrial revolution basically reset capitalism and then be like, oh, well, we're just going to get communism with capitalism. It, it doesn't make logical sense because as soon as the capitalists have power, they're going to do everything in, everything in their power to keep it. 
Well, that's because Marx is, has a teleological bent to what he's talking about. It's a very linear view of history and the fact that this is how history goes. But, um, you know, as someone who studies history, uh, that's one of the biggest problems that we have is this, this view of a linear view of history. And that's definitely, I think, that's a brilliant point to bring up about Marx and sort of talk about... Um, it's almost like Trotsky's idea of the permanent revolution, where Trotsky was talking about in um, the Russian Revolution, basically trying to go from agrarian straight to communism, in that sense. And so he's kind of talking about that. And, and so, so, so for as much as we hate, we every all leftists hate uh, Trotskyists. He was right about that. Like history is not uh, a pro- linear progression of ideas and societies history is a very fluid thing and you can go for anywhere from being in the fucking stone age all the way up to you know full gay space luxury communism in any amount of steps it just depends on what you do fully automated uh luxury gay space communism yeah I mean, that, that, that's, that's what it is. So I would, I would argue against, I'd say that, you know, teleological views of history and, you know, sort of, you know, it's a very even like a liberal view because you see this especially in neoliberals like with Fukuyama and the end of history, you know, the title explains itself. It's the idea that we have reached the end, we have reached the apex, we, the history was all leading up towards this, when the reality is that any given moment, there are an infinite number of possible future histories. You said and, possible. Yeah, fine. Possible future histories. Well, arguable, ar- arguably, we're actually at a point where there's only four four futures, uh, to reference the actual, the, the Jacobin article, four futures, um, well, the the four four most likely, literally, we could say like you, we could, I don't know, maybe if we're in the Watchmen universe, Ozymandias pulls off a huge attack on New York, and there's another history. It's there are few four histories that we can kind of see, but my point is also all four of those can play out in a billion different ways because we don't have a view of like literally every single alternate or possible universe. We cannot for we cannot simply state that this is the way it has to happen. We can recognize historical trends and then try to use those to make policy, but we cannot predict the future. And I believe that only saying, ah, yes, this is how it has to be is wrong. Well, and so and it's almost like Marx tries to create a conclusion and find evidence to support that conclusion instead of looking at the evidence and then finding a conclusion. Because he, he kind of comes from Hegel with this dialectic and goes, oh, well, dialectical materialism is what drives history, the the struggle between the two classes, and it's like, well, that's all well and good, but even you, even you mentioned the fact that there's more than just two classes, which means any of those classes could ultimately influence the the future. They could ultimately change it to whatever makes their class more powerful. Well, I mean, that's the ultimate reason why I think like part of me is interested. I mean, that's also just not anarchism. That's straight up uh, monarchy that's just having a benevolent king which is all well and fine but how do you make sure you keep it you know well you just gotta be Hobbes you know personally I like Calvin and Hobbes well no 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 like the Leviathan who doesn't oh I, I, I know I'm joking yeah well, I'm, jo- I'm joking well, well for, 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 for the listeners who don't really get our references because we do kind of have a lot of obscure 
philosophical references here. Hobbes basically mm-hmm. wrote the book called Leviathan, which was basically, hey, we need the monarchy because without the monarchy, we would plunge into nothing but chaos and oh, disorder. Yeah. Um, his, basically, his basic premise was that without some overarching force that we sacrifice our rights to, like some elder god, um, we would ultimately just always be killing each other. And this actually even ties back into the book where um, Kropotkin was talking about how all these tables and details will not serve to convince that those of the middle class who regard the people as a mob of savages ready to fall upon and devour each other as soon as the government ceases to direct affairs. And he almost argues directly against the Leviathan here, saying, no, we don't actually need this system of government, the system of power to keep people at bay from stop stealing and stop killing from each other. We just need to start from a, a fair and a, a just and equi- equitable system in an, agra- an agrarian society. Because as soon as we oh, yeah. start transgressing past the agrarian society, then we start seeing the hoarding of wealth. We start seeing the specialization of skills to a point where people can no longer function without, function independently. Well, it, it's a contempt of the working class. Like, I was listening to um, an ep- the latest episode of the Useful Idiots podcast where they were talking about what ends up happening when, you know, a lot of the neoliberals, especially under Obama, sort of um, one of the major reasons why Trump rose to power was because people saw in Trump a, you know, this sort of disgraced figure that everyone made fun of, much like um, Obama did with, and the neoliberals in general did with, like, the working class, and kind of seeing them as, like, either something to be mocked or as something of a social experiment to be to be studied and poked and prodded and dissected rather than as, um, you know, kindred or or as brotherhood taking that those lines and really separating them out which when you have someone like trump who then starts speaking to the issues of the working class people will start to latch on to that and so it is even when he's bullshit yeah exactly it doesn't matter what he actually does it's the idea of trump that makes him um powerful it's kind of a weird idea yeah and it's um Essentially, like, it, even going back to, it's like the idea of, like, you know, the, the myth of, the, the, the Ur myth of the welfare queen. And the idea of, well, if everything's free in society, there are going to be people who just mooch. And it doesn't, it has a really, you know, dour and depressing take on just the human condition. Because it, it assumes that, like, every single time that you're not monitored, you're plotting to kill everyone. Or, like, even going even further into depravity, like the neoliberal condition of, well, everyone only works in their economic best interests, so therefore everyone is always cold and calculating and sitting here, like, doing calculations in their head about stocks and wondering, you know, well, if I kill this person, would that be economically viable for me? And that's just not how people work. But that, that's, that's the normalization of the Hobbesian well, myth, right? It's just, I, it's I think idea. that's what they think they would do under these conditions. So that's, that's, they're literally just projecting themselves onto this shit. Well, not even that, but like the, the Hobbesian myth is basically saying straight up that, hey, you know, nature is ultimately chaotic. And if we don't have a bigger body than the person trying to take our stuff, the person's going to take our stuff. That's just that's just how it is. 
you know, without without a government, without a state, without anything, we're just all going to be killing each other for the stuff that we each have instead of working in cooperation. And I, and I think that sounds like the type of thing someone who would do exactly that would say. What what is this yeah. American Psycho? Is literally, it? I don't know. I've never seen it. It's it's, it's <laughs> literally the idea that everyone is secretly an American Psycho, whereas American Psycho was more or less talking about how the socially depraved and sort of the crazy people under capitalism get to climb to the top. That is what like it fundamentally misses what American Psycho was even about. Mm-hmm. But I think um, kind of moving on to I still uh, haven't seen it. It's a good movie. Uh, watch literally watch the scene of Huey Lewis in the news. And, oh, that's great! Uh, he just starts. The one where it's he starts. He just, he just starts talking about about Huey Lewis in the news like it's nothing, and he's just murdering the dude with a fucking axe. <laughs> he's like, ah, their sports owl was pretty good. And he's putting on a fucking raincoat and laying down. His friend's too drunk to care, and he's putting down the newspaper. It's so good. It is so good. But um, kind of moving on to uh, housing. And this is chapter six. And he talks a little bit about housing. He makes some interesting things where it's like, uh, almost to make an Obama meme out of it, he's like, uh, if you, uh, well, I guess he does this more in clothing, but he's like, uh, you know, if you'd like your coat, uh, you can keep it. Yeah. And oh. that, that even goes back, that even goes back to expropriation when he's talking about, you know, we, we're going to let people keep what they have. Keep it though? What? Is he inviting us to not keep it though? Well, because that's his entire argument about the revolution is that p- people perceive as a socialist revolution is, oh, we're going to take everything and put it into a big pile and people take what they need. No. It's literally the, the dad grilling meme where yeah. it's, you know, yeah. yeah but, he, but even so, like, he he even leads into this in food, um, basically saying that, yeah, we must offer to the peasant in exchange for his toil, not worthless paper money, but manufacture art articles for which he stands in immediate need and even talks about how who then can appropriate to himself the tiniest pot of grand, ground or the meanest building in such a city without committing a flagrant injustice. He's not saying hey, we're going to take everything, put it into a pile and just take what you need. He's like you can keep what you want. Money's going to be, money's not going to be an issue because there's going to be no government to back it. We, if you want to use money, go ahead. But nobody's going to respect that. But mm-hmm. what we need to do is we what we need to do is we just need to make everything from this point forward more equitable. Well, that's the thing I think that he really hits the nail on the head where he's talking about if you want to really get rid of capitalism, you need to get rid of the incentives for capitalism, and you need to get rid of the reasons In order why to do people that, like yeah. You need to feed your people. Well, exactly. If you, everyone's well fed and everyone's well done, if everyone's well fed, well clothed, and housed, then what is there for a reason for anyone being like, hey, you want um, 10 bucks for this fucking piece of bread? And some people will be like, sure, that looks like a nice piece of bread. <laughs> well, he actually even takes from Proudhon a little bit in, in the beginning of this, basically talking about the rights of property. How the house is not built by its owner. It was erected, directed, decorated, and furnished by a workers in the timber yard, the brick field, and the workshop, toiling for dear life at minimum wage. And he, he's he's taking this idea of property rights and saying, well, just because you own a thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's yours, at least in terms of housing and dwellings. Yeah, I'm not sure how good I feel about that one on a kind of um, EA. Well, no, I, he, I think Kropotkin's view might change, change in light of recent uh, 
Bullshit. Yes, yes, Kropotkin is actually going to become a gamer and he's going to put on the Joker makeup and say EA bad. Yeah. But like he he's taking he's taking this he's gonna say, he takes yeah. this to the next level and basically says we're talking we're not talking about people who are living there and people who are making making their livelihood in these houses we're talking about people that are claiming hey we own this house pay us or we're gonna evict you we he must understand that the abolition of rent is a recognized principle period like he says more but like we're talking about he's saying we're getting rid of all of the things that people don't need. You can mm-hmm. keep your you can keep your luxury coats, but what are you going to need it for when there's no when there's no social incentive? You can keep your your toil, but what are you going to do with all that extra food? You can keep your your houses that you live in, but we're basically going to tell the landlords, we're going to tell these capitalists that are working that are basically claiming ownership of things that they don't even touch, I mean, just I mean, because they paid somebody for it. Suggesting like that, I don't know. It sounded to me like he's suggesting that you know fashion would stay static for the rest of the time i'll tell you no that's no that's not a, fucking gonna happen that's, a, that's the exact opposite of what he's saying he's saying like look fashion doesn't matter people just want to have clothes it doesn't matter if you have a fancy coat or whatnot because it's not i think he literally says that it's oh, he, not going to stay the same yeah well that, that's something but, more for when we talk about clothing but like at this yeah, point we're, which is coming up here in a second yeah like at this point we're really, he's literally going in more into expropriation and how it's not the stuff that we're after we're not trying to we're not trying to steal your coats we're not trying to steal your 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 gaming stations we're not trying to steal your t- your massive 110 inch TVs we just want to make sure that people are taken care of that's it we mm-hmm. want to make everything equitable and by that he is literally saying we want to make sure people are fed, housed, and clothed. Well, I just find it interesting where, um, I think I said this earlier when you weren't here, Gekka, but I was making the, really all the talk about landlords and stuff was really reminding me of Mao and sort of what he was talking about with landlords, and I think- Weird lag. He didn't kill landlords, he just killed sparrows. It was pests, <laughs> come on. Well, yeah, but you, you know, the sparrows had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting the reference here. So, um, so Mao actually implemented, uh, at the behest of rural communities, the the extermination of four different types of pests, and one of them was considered the one of the pests was sparrows, and he literally just murdered a whole bunch of birds, and it really fucked up the the, the ecology of the region. What the fuck? Oh yeah, no, Mao made some really really bad decisions, and honestly, the that's honestly, that's just bad. That's 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 not just bad. That's weird. But what? talking like he was trying like the very specific reasoning behind it was we there the the farmers and the rural communities had these four pests i think it was mice oh, let me actually look this up it was mice uh sparrows uh, mal pests the four pests were landlords <laughs> yeah hey. right yeah it was mosquitoes yeah, yeah. It was sparrows, Look, no, rats, yeah, rats, flies, mosquitoes, and sparrows with a four with a four pests that he that he killed back in the nineteen fifties. Um, well, because the sparrows would 
actually, I think we were talking about this in my one of my French Revolution classes was um, one of the major reasons for the French Revolution was that um, pigeons were illegal to kill in France, but pigeons were also eating all of the crops and stuff. So, the, yeah, exactly. It's, it's in that same vein. You can almost see a through line through to the Cultural Revolution from the French Revolution. And, and given, uh, given yeah. the circumstances, like, it makes sense why he chose to kill those four pests because they were considered, you know, the bringers of pestilence and famine. But at the same time, because mostly because we didn't have the understanding of ecology and biology that we do now, it, it fucked up the entire ecosystem entirely. Yeah, just damn. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah, the, the, the Cultural Revolution is, is a fucking weird one, but it's it's very interesting. I think I don't I don't know a whole lot of Maoists, but I might not want to bring one on to talk about. Oh, we, we should bring on. We should, we should bring Jazzy. Look, I might turn out to be a Maoist someday, so you know, cross your yeah. fingers, I guess. But uh, also, Gecko, what we were talking about earlier was um, kind of. Well, we'll talk about this after the pod. Uh, I was just talking about finance with the future and whatnot. You weren't here for, but. Uh, so yeah, he talks about, I think one of the biggest things that I found was very prophetic with his, his, um, chapter on housing was especially nowadays we're seeing the same thing where there's vacant apartments, uh, but there's rampant homelessness and the same thing was happening in Paris. So it's very clear that, you know, the problem is not people who, uh, don't, people just people just don't have enough money for a house, and I believe like housing should be a human right. I believe that people should have all the base their basic necessities met because that's when innovation happens. When you don't have to worry about uh, when you take risks and stuff like that. The current capitalist system, you have to worry about. Well, if I take this risk and I fuck up, I am going to die on the street in the fucking gutter. Yeah, no. Unless no. unless I'm a billionaire. Yeah. And that's the thing, it's like, people, like, get on, it's like, oh, you should have taken the risk, you know, it's for the risk takers, it's like, that's not a smart, that's a stupid fucking risk by any stretch of the imagination. And the whole point is, people would, people would take more risks, and lead to better innovation, if they realized that if they fell, and if they tried and didn't succeed, they would have something to fall back on, rather than dying. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like this will kill some people. Um, for all for every success story, there's just so many horrible endings. Well, and he even like even going back to what you're talking about the welfare queens, where people were like, "Well, if we give everybody everything, then nobody's going to be sitting there, and there are going to be people who are just not going to work." It, it's he even talks about this. It is, but everyone will want a fine house or a spacious flat. It is not the people's way to clamor for reason. We do not deny that there are plenty of egoistic intention instincts in, in, in isolated individuals. We are quite aware of that. But, in fact, we contend that the very way to revive and nourish those instincts would be to confine such questions as the housing of people to any board or committee. The, 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 what he's basically trying to go on, but he's like... It's, it's going in onto how... You're right. If we do give everybody what they need, sure, there might be one or two people that so there's, there's, there's going to be that any any system. Yeah, no. Even even in our current system, like arguably, a lot of the billionaires or a lot of people that um, have 
basically been given everything they want, everything they needed from the get-go by their parents working hard. Like those are the technically the welfare welfare, welfare creams, because well, yeah, it's the idea. Like literally, when I was talking to my, I had a lot of arguments about socialism with my father for whatever reason. But when oh, I was talking about. Oh you know, welfare creeds and stuff like that, I was like, corporate welfare is a thing, and he did not want to accept that. I think people in this country really don't know about, you know, the idea of corporate welfare. Uh, mostly. But when you talk about the bank bailouts, which is corporate welfare... Literally, um, hey, you're failing, here's millions of dollars, have fun. Yeah. yeah. And they still and, don't want to admit that is either. Uh, it depends on the person. Generally, more right-wing people will just say Obama bad and then play metal on Obama rather than a systemic issue of just both parties being neoliberal pieces of shit and not doing anything. But because it, it, it's a, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing for people to be idle every now and again, right? It, it's this capitalist idea that we have to be we have to be entirely productive every moment of our day. Like it is. It is okay to be like, well, I'm going to take a couple years to figure out what I want. Because he even talks about when the Masons and Carpenters, all who are concerned in house building, know that the daily bread is secured to them. They were asked nothing better than to work at the old trades a few hours a day. People like to work. People don't like to be idle. They like to do something. Like if you People get bored. Yeah. Being productive, like literally going down to a chemical and like physical level, being productive gives you a lot of a dopamine response. So if you feel that you're being productive, like the the, I mean, the there whole... are other ways to get dopamine responses. Oh yeah, but, but <laughs> what I'm saying Yeah. What I, what I'm saying is that the entire if all if capitalism was the way to go, then volunteer organizations just wouldn't exist. People doing out of th- things out of the, the goodness of their hearts would just not exist but we don't see that we see these organizations pop up time and time again and um you know generally what ends up happening in in the capitalist sphere is people go oh they're virtue signaling or they're trying to get some kind of social capital and i think um the trash future podcast had a good uh segment on this where they were talking about the idea of the homo economicus where every single person under like the current neoliberal the neoliberal hegemony is just someone who is constantly calculating, constantly looking, like swimming around like a shark because they can't stop, and constantly looking for jobs and opportunities, and they will travel wherever they want. There's rather... kind of a paradox in that, because capitalism is essentially the belief that people will do, you know, just if you let them rule based on who has the most, they'll just do the right thing, but they also think... People are just horrible monsters who will take advantage of people. It's the Randian expression of capitalism where it's the idea that... Yeah, it's li- it's literally the, the e- egoist uh, uh, Randian explanation where it's um, everyone is a, is a hero and if the lower classes are just, um, you know, grifters who are doing stuff, who are uh, leeching off society and the people at the top are there because they work the hardest... But even and, but even Rand even basically said in uh, Atlas Shrugged that if we if if our society functions that way there would be no art there would be no there would be no beauty there would be nothing beyond pure business speculation and grifting. But but Rand kind of likes that though. <laughs> yeah, like she and she makes Rand it. Is, Rand is the very least honest about that, and I think that's what a lot of times that people like to. She's not Rand honest about is, it. She she was yeah. a welfare queen herself. She literally lived off the state for years and died but in she poverty. Be- exact, but she believed that she was 
this this hero of capitalism. It's not about the actual reality of it. It's about how you perceive yourself. And, that doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. Well, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is that if you think that you are... Imagine that... Um, this is a weird cut, but uh, do you guys know who the Flesh Eater Courts are in uh, Age of Sigmar and Warhammer? No. What? All right, so the Flesh Eater okay, Courts... Okay, this is going to get cut. Why? No. Uh, okay, uh, I'm, the, I'm the one editing <laughs> No cuts allowed. No! Hell yeah. I'm going to talk about my stupid Warhammer tangent. No, um, uh, the idea is basically this. So they're a group of, like cannibalistic people who um, are savages, you know, they run around and just kind of eat people, but in their minds, in their heads, they are noble knights who believe they are doing um, the world a greater good. So the, the issue becomes whether or not is it more important the reality of a situation or how you perceive that reality? Is it more important to, you know, if you're so deluded that you live in that delusion... Is it more important to then be like, well, actually, you're wrong, rather than trying to address the delusion and trying to really understand why people have gotten to that point? So it's the it's the Ben Shapiro of psycho- psychosis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, if if your house is going to flood, why don't you just sell your house? Who's going to buy it, Ben? Who? Fucking Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It it, it it really is that idea of just... It, it's a psychosis. It's it, it's not understanding what reality is, being so um, up your own ass that you're well, just out of reality. Well, but like that that even comes back to here because it's like what Kropotkin is basically stating, and he, even what he expounds upon in his previous book on mutual aid is that yes, competition exists. Yes, competition can be a good thing, and even even he takes that from Proudhon in saying that competition, when moderated, and when not made the pinnacle of human society, is a good thing because it drives innovation. But he's arguing that, hey, we... Losing the competition shouldn't mean dying. Well, not even that, but like he's arguing that as, as humans, as, 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 as a human species, we are social creatures, and without society, without community, we do not and cannot survive. And he even has this thread throughout the entire book of Conquest of Bread, which, like, our current society was built on the backs of the of the gentle laborers from generations past. So we cannot necessarily have a specific claim to anything that we are currently making. Yes, we can say that we came up with the idea, but we cannot claim that it is ours and ours alone. Really, his argument is that since the advent of writing... Okay, but I'd like passed... to own my persona. Oh my god. No, you can't. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna expropriate your persona. <laughs> <laughs> so, since the advent of writing, you were saying? Oh yeah, since the advent of writing, really, since now that uh, before then, knowledge could not be really um, accurately transpired down through generations, but now that it can... You essentially, whatever you do, no matter what you do now, it is always going to be built off the predications of what came before you. You're not gonna, you're not gonna like literally invent the computer all the way back from the Stone Age and becoming a farmer. The reason why we have computers and things like that is because of the advancements of the past. 
And I think that's why he calls himself a communist in, in the vein of Marx, is because he does kind of feel that history is this material dialectic, where everything that exists as it is today exists because of the, the push forward from the, from the workers of the past, right? So, like, we cannot invent something that has no through line from the past. We cannot create something brand new because we're all just fish in a barrel interacting with like, each other. There is no such thing. Everything is a remix. Oh my god. <laughs> Once you've read the dictionary... Well, no, not even not even that to that extent, but to kind of take... Let, let's take something totally out, out, out of the wall. Like, modern EDM, uh, modern... Uh, dubstep music is actually is actually a through line from dadaist music where it's taking this idea of well what is music what can we claim that is music and make something that is considered harmonious that has phrases and has notes and has harmony with it like and let's not forget yeah. about um electro swing yeah i think also like that like, just going, says it for itself like, like going off of that, like a lot of these theories that we're talking about, and especially kind of the leftist tradition, it, it kind of it all builds upon itself because um, one of the major things I think I've discussed this in uh, my other podcast, but one of the major things that people like um, Sargon of Akkad and that and oh, a lot God. of reactionaries and like they like to think that something like postmodernism. Um, is a rejection of everything that came before it. And it's trying to lay down something completely different and is saying, hey, let's tear down everything. When the reality is, it is taking the good things from the thing before it and is adapting them and critiquing them in order to make it a stronger point. And that is really where it's coming from because it's a flow of knowledge and um, it's Hegelian in the sense where you're talking about... Um, uh, you have a, a thesis, you have an antithesis, and then you get a synthesis, and that's really kind of how technology flows. And, and, and even like the entire anarchist movement, the entire, the, the at least the anarchist tradition, the the Frankfurt School, and even up to Foucault in postmodernism, like they all take something from the previous things and they expand upon it. And mm -hmm. like even if we're looking at you know modern anarchist tradition. Like the modern anarchist theorists, like they all take something from the previous anarchists, and this is actually an argument that I was getting with a friend of mine. They were like, "Well, anarchism is just like this radical position that is actually pretty mundane." It's like, "Well, yeah, it's mundane because we have a tradition. We have the, these theorists that have been writing about this for centuries. It's not just something that people are just like, oh, well, I just hate, I just hate all of authority, and I, hate, I don't want any kind of, any kind of hierarchy ever." It's well, yeah. we actually think it's that, not a phase, mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And th this uh, this is actually something that I've been bringing. That's actually been coming up in my life a lot with uh, what I call anarchists. The 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 people that are just like I'm. I'm just I I listen to Rage Against the Machine once or twice, and I think everything's fucking sucks. They have they have no tap into the tradition. They have no orthodoxy. Their their entire praxis is just I'm going to hate everything. Well, actually, when I was in uh, Europe, uh, I think, well, I think it has a little more to do with not well, so much they just, um, but people who have been in positions where they found power to be a power over them to be abused and and or absolute. 
but they don't have a theory to back it up, and so therefore they can only take piecemeal measures. Well, That's what barely... this podcast is about. We're trying to bring the theory and the actual thought behind anarchism as a solution to the working class so that they can better understand and you know are... do better praxis. That's our whole point. I think one of the biggest things was I was saying um, when I went to Europe over the... <coughs> Over the summer, and uh, especially in Greece and seeing some of the graffiti and stuff, there was actually a lot of anarchist graffiti. But looking into it, it was anarchist graffiti without theory. It was just the idea of, we're going to fuck shit up because we hate uh, uh, um, the state. But I, mean, I think you can take that... does hmm? still prove anarchism to be viable because people generally know when they're being fucked with and they kind yes. of have an idea of what where they want to be with a society well the, the, the at issue, the very least that's just the, the base the whole, the whole point is that they the, they have that inclination of things are wrong and so our goal is to say we have the solution we have something that you can take your qualms and your pros and turn that into actual policy that you can then use to actually change the system and make it better. And we I have think, the answer to the question of what now. Yeah, and, and I think this is why, this is what Kropotkin was trying to go on to, was like, what do you do after the revolution? Where do you start? And this is what a lot of anarchists don't have. The, the ones that haven't read the theory yet, the ones that are either what my friend likes to call born-again anarchists, like born-again Christians, where you, you, you've never actually really looked into it. You're just like, well, this is a really good idea. Let me try something. And we, we talk about how people perceive anarchy as not having a government. E- even even in The Conquest of Bread, he's talking about how there needs to be some level of management to allow people to have what they need. Well- Actually, even even talking about that later is um, one of the other works People I want to read on this podcast bad. is um, Democratic Confederalism by um, Okalon. Um, and he talks about kind of the idea that anarchism is all about no government and the, the less government you have, the more anarchistier it is. That's not true. There's a huge difference between government and state and hierarchy, unjust hierarchy versus just hierarchy, you know? There is always going to be some measure of hierarchy in a society. That's just because of how Logistics we have Logistics have to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, but also, but also, like, there is such a thing as just hierarchy. In our system currently, the unjust hierarchy is is that we have politicians and senators and people who make decisions for us that, oftentimes, they don't know anything about what they're legislating. You have you have an entire panel of men legislating on the the women's reproductive rights. Exactly. That's so, just so weird. In, in a perfect system, the idea is not only do you have representatives from the people who have their own interests, you also have representatives who, in the system, have power basically because they have worked their way up. Almost like in kind of a semi-meritocracy, what I'm talking about is like professionalism and professional professions where it's like, you know, ecologists would have some say on climate change and uh, some say on, you know, what to do about certain climate conditions. 
and they would work together with community representatives to find a goal that fit the community and helped the um, global scale. So it's like almost like a ground-up form of you start with a community democracy and then you go up through the ranks and have even more democracy at the top, but also you have people and advisors who have dedicated their lives to studying things and um, are really have dedicated themselves to trying to find a better understanding of just themselves and their lives. It's, it's almost like the good side of technocracy. Yeah, it, it's like... It, I mean, of course, that, that idea is a little bit um, utopian, but again, like, you know, Kropot says, like, it, it, anarchism is ultimately utopian, and I think that if we strive for it, the very least where we end up is something that we can, um, you know, something we can be proud of. Mm-hmm. Give me... I actually have something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we want to move on to uh, chapter the uh, chapter seven, our last chapter about clothing. I think we talked about it a little were, bit. Were you but... about to say chapter the next one? Yeah, chapter the next one. Chapter the next one. Yeah. Next time on the chapter. <laughs> yeah. Oversell it. Totally oversold it. But um, so let, let's actually move on to this the, the shortest chapter in this book, clothing, which is all of what I would call two pages, but looks more like th- but is actually more like three. Um, well, yeah, he he literally just says like, yeah, the last things in the last two chapters apply that to clothing. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and he even says um, like we, we talk about we talked about fashion earlier. Like he says, but it may be urged this means great uniformity at the end of everything beautiful in life and art. Certainly not, we reply, and still basing our reasonings on what already exists, we are going to show how anarchist society could satisfy the most artistic tastes of its citizens without allowing them to amass the fortunes of millionaires. And that bring, that goes straight into... Um, You're going to have more art if your artists aren't starving. Yeah, and that even goes into what he was talking about, the masons and the architects. They just wanted to devote their time to honing their craft and making what they want to make, instead of specifically trying to make profits for somebody else and maybe make a measly living out of it did i kill it did i kill it i'm, well, so, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry i had to read a fucking meme <laughs> my, my 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 friends were outside and i was like they were getting a little loud so i was like okay but um, uh i had to water my cat <laughs> <laughs> but no it, it, it is interesting just um i think focusing on uh in the sense, he, he's almost Marxist, like you said before, where he's focusing a lot on the material conditions of the revolution and what needs to be satisfied in order to keep it going. Uh, and it's really something that, again, I you don't see a lot from... Um, it's one of the major reasons why you need a theory like this, and a theory like this is very, very important. Uh, because well, it gives you the words to express, you know, exactly what your angst is about, and that's what this is about. Well, not even that, but, but 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 you have a plan for the future, because without a plan for the future, your revolution is going to fail, because you need to be thinking ten steps ahead of what you're actually trying to do in order to um, secure power, because other people have already thought about this, and they will take that power from you at the first chance they get. What you need to do is you need to think about exactly what you want to happen and not only that but what could possibly interfere with that and afterwards how do you how deal with stop such that inter- from yes. happening well not even stop that but just how to how to how to deal with it well he, he almost kind of and that can be a rabbit hole thought too but well he he almost kind of leads into uh, what simone Weil 
talks about later on to kind of counteract Marx and Hegel in saying that, you know, it's not the material efforts that make that made history, it's the force. It's the it's the declaration of force. And in this case, he's specifically saying that the force that we need to countermand that is being utilized against the proletariat and against humanity in general is the force of being able to feed, clothe, and house the people that don't want to be in the system anymore. The people, the, the normal people that don't necessarily strive to be sociopathic millionaires that kill people with an, with an axe while Huey New- Lewis in the news plays. Yeah. It's if the fuck, please. But actually just be like, I just want to do, have, have a life, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe, and, you know, do some cool shit every now and again. Which is literally the like like if you talk to anybody and you break it down, that's literally what anybody wants to do. They just want to eat, sleep, breathe, and do cool shit every now and again. Well, that's literally like the idea. That's literally what the capitalist class kind of forces on the working class, where it's like, oh, you want all this stuff. Um, I think uh, to quote um, Rise Against in their song, uh, um, oh, what was it called? But they were talking about kind of how um, is this a, you know, a handout undeserved or is it a just reparation? It's more about not, you know, they just want handouts and whatnot and they're welfare queens. It's more about people want to live. They don't want to die and be ground into dust. I believe it was by, um, it was their song Disparity by Design. So they're talking about they don't want pe- people don't want to just be ground into dust. People don't want to be sent off to the Middle East and die fucking horribly in some god fucking godforsaken war so that the CEO of Boeing can make two more dollars. People don't want that shit. They want to live. And that's all we're asking for. And that's all our system should value life above all else. And, and it- not in like the dumb conservative sense where it's like Ah, yes, I care about the, um, I'm pro-life. I care about the fetus, but the second, you know, they have it. The second it's born, you fuck yourself. Exactly. Not in that sense, but actually giving a fuck about human life and not seeing people as only economic goods, but as people. And there's actually a story that, kind of a little adage that's been going around the past couple years about the, the story of the rich man and the fisherman. And the story basically goes that there's a fisherman, you know, he's lounging, smoking, smoking a pipe, and he's, he's got his fish for the day. A rich man comes by and basically goes, why aren't you fishing? The fisherman goes, why, why, should, why would I need to fish? The rich man then goes, well, you need to fish so you can sell the fish so you can relax. And the, the fisherman looks at him and goes, well, I'm relaxed. I, I, what do you think I'm doing right now? I have yeah. the food that I need for the day. I I'm I don't need to fish anymore. I mean, if I if I come across someone that needs to be provided for more, sure I'll fish more. But why am I going to work harder than I need to to That's reach exactly. the exact situation that I'm doing right now? As someone, I think that that hits really the nail on the head. As someone who um, has had family in Appalachia and kind of has seen the decimation of you know people's lives by you know, billionaires and economic uh, incentives and whatnot. And the idea of, like, the, the, the hobo or um, the, the country bumpkin or the redneck 
I think a lot of times, a lot of liberals like to be like, oh, they, they're just Trump supporters. They're just racist. They don't know exactly what they're doing, and they're just doing whatever. But you have to realize that in through a different lens and through our lens and the lens that we should be using to view these people, they are, in a sense, even though they might be um, have reactionary social politics, the issue is not that they very much work and toil for what they need and then they relax the rest of the day and this has been a long time tradition in like places like Appalachia in West Virginia and whatnot of like you know people doing a job but then like playing hooky the rest of the day because you know they got all the stuff they need and then they're just kind of chilling out and doing whatever and you know maybe they'll catch a train or whatnot and that needs to be kind of seen and sort of celebrated because really what they're doing is they're taking advantage of capitalists and I think that this demonization of other peoples because of their racist beliefs in general tends to, rather than trying to um, say, hey, why do these people hold these beliefs? Who do they think the enemies are? And how can we fix that? One of the biggest things is that the reason why people of that region think that they are, their enemies are like black people is because oh, they think of them as welfare queens. But if we were able to convince them that, no, it is not the black people that are your problem. It is not these Hispanic people that are coming to the country taking your jobs. It is the capitalists that have taken your jobs. It is them who have really done this. You will t- kill two arrows, two... Um, birds with one stone. Two, yeah, two birds with one stone. And you'll be able to not only take these people, working class people, and really give them a sense of class consciousness, but you will also be able to say, look, your racism is ill-founded because these other people are your comrades. These people are the same people that you're fighting against. You need to realize that these are not your enemies, and you shouldn't vilify them as such. It is the capitalist that is your enemy. What was that comic about nationalism where you have the rich man in the castle saying, Look at all the wealth we have, and the and the the serfs are like, "What wealth do we have? It's all yours." And then he draws a line in the sand, and then they're all of a sudden, "Oh, we're so rich! Oh my gosh!" Like it's that same idea. It's this it's this idea of a fake identity made through artificial borders. That it's like mm-hmm. it, it's like, like um, the saying that everyone in America, the reason why we haven't had a revolution is just because everyone sees themselves as an embarrassed millionaire rather than an oppressed proletariat. Well, and it's it's even to even more to the point. Like, why do we want to be a millionaire? And it's it's because we perceive millionaires well, for as one, not. We're brainwashed into thinking that that's the right way to go. Well, not even that, but like it's like, hey, I want to be a millionaire so I don't have to work anymore. Like the majority of people, when they when you say if you had enough money, what would you do? And they would say not work. Mm-hmm. It is only the sociopath that is like, I want billions and billions and billions of dollars, and I'm going to keep working for those billions and billions more. That, keep, that it's like, what are you even doing with those? Are you eating them? Like, it's literally just greed. Well, let's see, let's even taste? take let's even take for example our our friend Rasa that we haven't talked about in forever. <laughs> Three episodes. Oh my god! He became a millionaire we off were... of Bitcoin, oh. and the first thing that he did was retire. He's not working anymore. He's literally just making money off of things that he's invested in. He's not working. And that is the American dream. That is the dream of these embarrassed millionaires is not to be rich, but is to be able to be rich enough to not have to work. 
I would say even not necessarily not have to work, but to really work, do what they love and to pursue a passion where they don't have to work specifically just to put bread on the table. Yes. Exactly. It, it, and it kind of goes into your discussion last week of uh, post-work theory where it's like, it's not all about um, just to getting rid of, oh man, you just want nobody to work and they will just do nothing. It's, it's more about taking these very taking these jobs that don't add anything to the economy that are really pointless and stupid just because people put them there just because they want their fucking nephew to get rich you want jobs that empower people and you want we don't want middle management clogging up the bureaucracy yeah exactly the the whole the whole point is that you want people generally want to work because they well people need to work but people the reason get why restless. people yeah also that but people want to be billionaires not oh, because they want shit tons of money in general but because they want to not have to worry about you know feeding their family or if their grandma gets sick they have to give her a new kidney and they also want to also, do what they Also, for someone love. with that basic instinct, he really does not seem to have any regard for other people. Well, he's a sociopath. Also have the, oh right, forgot about that. Well, I wouldn't even call I wouldn't even call him a sociopath. I think he's more like like Carton said earlier. He's brainwashed by the capitalist ideology in that he, he thinks yeah, that it's almost a religion. Well, definitely. You're, what, what, what is what is the thing from they live? This is your god now, and it's a bunch of dollar bills. Mm-hmm. Hi. Yeah. Sorry about that. Y'all can edit that out, right? <laughs> we don't have any cuts. But no. All right, now, now it's going at the end of the episode, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but no, like every every the the anarchist theory, the anarchist tradition, the post-work tradition, hell, even a, a lot of the main capitalist ideology is this nearing towards not having to work nearing towards being able to do what you love without having to worry about oh what's going to happen if i lose what's going to happen if mm -hmm. i if i fail am i going losing to losing the competition should not kill you exactly like if you if you're running a race and you come into set you come in second you shouldn't be shot on sight precisely and that's really the poison that um, sort of these Randian economics have kind of injected into our system, where it's the idea that, well, you need to be on top in order to be moral because everyone who's not on top is just a leech. Well, not even not even Randian, but more of the whole Protestant uh, work ethic. Mm -hmm. The idea that you have to be productive every day or else you're failing at life. You have to exactly. make sure that you're making money or you're making somebody else money or else you're stealing from the company. I actually work at, worked at a job under a boss that literally said, you if you use the bathroom while you're on the clock, you are stealing money from the company. And I'm like, you're going to basically tell us, no, we can't go to the bathroom because you're worried about $2. But but you're they're also stealing all of fucking, oh, your labor. Yeah, I got to pee. All right. Well, we gotta no. we gotta wrap this up anyway, so. Oh no, that was that was that was a pun on the thing. Don't oh. I don't actually have to pee. Okay, but I think that yeah, to wrap this all up, I think we got about an hour right now, and I think we got some really good good insight into it. He's um, kind of cutting out there. I don't know if anybody else is here on that. I am. 
Yeah, just a little bit. That might be uh, my internet connection can kind of be bad. I'm not seeing the cuts on the on the audacity thing is up right now. Oh, but, okay, so we're good. Yeah, I think um, just uh, you guys have final thoughts of these three chapters. I think these three chapters really play well into each other, especially just talking about what to do after a revolution and the practical solutions for um, the critics of anarchism. And I think that Kropotkin really does a good job. Like, these arguments that he's arguing against, 200 years later are the same arguments. Yeah, no, you could literally just recite this book at someone in an internet argument if you, you know, went through the comment section for some reason. Well, it's like like the conservative, it's like the the joke in in the leftist circles that conservatives only really have one joke. They only have one joke. It's it's yeah. the same joke rehashed over and over and over again, and but it's t- packaged as something new. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that pretty much sums up, you know, the the next three chapters of the Conquest of Bread for food, housing, and clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like really glad. Like they really got to the uh, bread and cheese of it. I mean, meat and potatoes of it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I meant bread. Got him. All um, right, so if we all want to sign off, uh, I have been Confite. I, I am the Gecko. I am Carden. And the one that's not <laughs> no, talking. No, you get <laughs> up here. Zula, get in these credits. Zula Kath, get up here. And I'm Zula Kath, and I said nothing. <laughs> 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 All right, we're stopping it there.